tuning into the Bellingham Podcast for the week of July 22, 2018. This is episode 88. From that city by the Salish Sea, I am AJ Barce. And straight out of 9226, and I mean it this time, I'm Chris Powell. On this episode, AJ and I don't need nothing but a good time because you are always on our mind. The wild, wild west is simply irresistible, but I don't want to go on with you like that. You got a fast car? You got it. The right stuff. So don't worry. Be happy. You're listening to the Bellingham Podcast. Chris, I need a fast car. That's right. <laughs> I got a podcast anywhere. How you doing, Chris? I'm just loving life in episode 88. Boy, howdy, what a long, strange trip it's been so far. <laughs> How you doing, AJ? I'm doing great, Chris. So uh, at the top of the show, we have some housekeeping. First and foremost, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Do yes. we want to say how old we're going to be? Yeah, why not? Uh, I, uh, as a Friday, uh, you know, we, we normally record around Friday, but we're doing this a little bit early because I'm going to be parts unknown. Uh, and I always take my day off in my day job because I want to go through my career not working on my birthday. Because it's also International Day of Chris. That's I mean, right. I don't know if that's on my calendar. I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, is it on yours? Every day is an international day of me. <laughs> oh. No, uh, I'll be turning 45 this uh, year. One more uh, spin around the sun. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good time to have a birthday in this lovely Northwest summer. And uh what else? <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Let's move on. So another housekeeping, uh, just for everybody to know, this is the last episode for the next two weeks. We're, t- we're going to be having a, a station break for two episodes. So you expect us back up on the air and on the interwebs that first weekend in August. I got a, I got a, I got a, a, a jingle for the, uh, the oh. station break. Ready? Oh, oh, we're back to being small time that you're going to do jingles again. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm okay. reverting back. So you yeah, know, I'm talk. ready. Oh, I'm ready. You ready? Yep. <laughs> That's the sound of a station break. Oh, wow. Anyway. <laughs> don't, don't give up your beatboxing I career. won't. So, uh, so, hiking, right? Yeah. So, uh, Chris, how is the, uh, the the endless summer of hiking? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it came out this year, but the boys of summer are definitely uh, putting on their boots and going for a hike. Uh, yeah, my wife and I, this past weekend, hit the Chuckanut Ridge Trail. Uh, which is in the vicinity of Larrabee State Park, kind of uphill a little bit. Yeah, uphill. And uh, we took the Lower Ridge Trail. So basically, if you take off Chuckanut Drive, you'll see a High Line Road, which uh, will take you up. Uh, by the way, uh, if you have like a smart car or a two-door uh, little coupe, uh, don't take this road because it's Ooh, it's rough. It's infested with potholes oh, and okay. and it's a county road, uh, at, um, logging access road in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's uh, a a bit of a drive through uh, not paved terrain. But we parked off the side of the road. There are a number of uh, pullouts, and we hiked along the lower ridge trail. And it was about five miles round trip. It it spits you out at Cyrus Gates Lookout, in which I had talked about before. It's an OMG kind of lookout uh, of Chuckanut Bay, all the islands that we have, uh, you know, higher up. It's just at a huge elevation. It's wonderful. But, you know, um, I love my wife. And uh, <laughs> hiking makes my wife happy. And, uh, yeah, it was a sweat and got my butt kicked again. But uh, we did it. And so it's it's a beautiful area. It was kind of like on a, a ridge where you had one side of the downward slope leading the Chuckanut Drive. And the other side was all these beautiful trees that are in Whatcom County east of I-5. Uh, and, you know, this it's just... 
Golly, I'm glad we didn't encounter any bears or mountain lions or cougars because oh I don't think I would have been able to outrun them. I was a little tired afterwards. But uh, no, it was a good hike. Got about uh, 8,000, 9,000 steps in it. So oh, that's good. Giddy up. So that's your contribution to this week's uh, Urban Hikers Grand Tour. Is that a, a Discover Pass requirement, the park there? Or what? Because you said it's a county road. It's Larrabee State Park. Okay. So therefore, I'm imagining it's a Discover Pass. Okay. And uh, But it's a county road. I put it up there anyway. Just yeah, being, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got, we've got two passes. That you know, it's, I guess that's what I'm asking. Did did you put up like both passes? Because or is this a forest service? So or? I'm paranoid, but okay. I don't think they are actively patrolling sure, these sure, cars. Sure. But do the right thing, folks. If you're going to be enjoying our national parks, throw down some dollars because you know it's the right thing to do. But anyway, yeah, we had our uh, passes displayed and stuff like that. What about you? What's been going on in uh, the Grand Tour for yourself? Uh, so in my my contribution to the Grand Tour, we went Whidbey Island. And we hopped over to the other side on the mainland in Port Townsend. The Olympic Peninsula. The Olympic I know Pen- it well. Yeah, gee. For my segment, I am looking at exploring our Washington State Lighthouse Network. So growing up as a kid, like I, I loved visiting lighthouses. I thought it's one of those things where if you live on the coast, either the left coast or the right coast, you know, we have something very unique where in our... Uh, outdoorsmanship, we have lighthouses. We have a long history of lighthouse tenders and how these lighthouses get converted during world wars as part of military camps and stuff. And it's a very unique thing. And so I remember as a kid, like I always loved hitting up uh, any of the state parks that had a lighthouse. So continuing that with my little one, I wanted to kind of bring that tradition to him. And I went to a lighthouse that I'd not been before on your very own Olympic Peninsula. So before I get into that, though, uh, I have another resource because as I do each of my bits, I usually try to provide a resource for anybody who's kind of this this topic interests you. So we talked about WTA.org and we talked about the Outbound Collective last episode. This episode, I'm bringing you LighthouseFriends.com. Of course you would. So LighthouseFriends.com, I'm going to say it's very low budget website resource. However, they, to pull from their website, quote, this site includes photographs, directions, histories, and GPS coordinates garnered while personally visiting every lighthouse in the United States and nearly every lighthouse in Canada. Hashtag labor of love. Very much a labor of love. This is literally the the WTA of, of, of lighthouses. Like if you wanted to look up any lighthouse in the United States or like they say in, in parts of Canada, they've got pictures and they've done the research and there's a page and a dedicated map where you can click on each, each lighthouse that has a pin. It's a Google My Maps. And they have plotted out everything and you click on it, it goes to its own page and you read that history of that, of that lighthouse, any historical photos, because a lot of lighthouses over their years, the sea has taken its toll and they'll have historical photos, references, you name it. It is pretty history geekdom. Hey, uh, folks out there that might be homeschooling their kids. Here's a great Northwest history lesson uh, in one website for you. I'm going to lead into to this jaunt that I went on, pulling from a, a wide variety of resources here. So ships bound from the Pacific to Seattle must first pass along the Strait of San, San Juan de Fuca, which separates the Olympic Peninsula and Canada's Vancouver Island. And then they turn south to navigate through Admiralty Inlet before they reach Puget Sound. Two points to find at the entrance of Admiralty Inlet from the Strait of San Juan de Fuca is Point Wilson on the west and Admiralty Head on its east. So if you're not familiar with these two points... 
Point Wilson would be Fort Warden on the Olympic Peninsula over there, over there by Port Townsend. And it would be Island. Admiralty Head is the lighthouse at Fort Casey. Very good. So keep that topography in mind. A little bit of history. Captain George Vancouver named Admiralty Inlet on June 2nd, 1792. In honor of the British Navy Board of Admiralty. While surveying Puget Sound in 1841, Lieutenant Charles Wilkes of the U.S. Exploring Expedition named the headland of the western shore of Woodby Island Red Bluff on account of the reddish color of the cliffs. But the name Admiralty Head later came the name of of the lighthouse that would be sitting there. So if you're familiar with Fort Casey and you've gone to Admiralty Head Lighthouse, which is great, Actually, that's not the original lighthouse. It was later rebuilt, and it was originally called Red Bluff. How cool is it that we can have an opportunity to visit two historic lighthouses with just a ferry ride between them? Yep. And that's a, that's a weekend waiting to happen right there. Exactly. So what so what I'm proposing is if you wanted to have a weekend or even a day trip, I propose to you, dear listeners, is head towards Woodby Island. On the shoulders near the ferry terminal is a 24-hour parking permitted place. And you park there. You take uh, the ferry by foot, which reduces your fare. Yep. And you can go across after exploring Fort Casey. And literally, Fort Casey is like right above the ferry terminal. So go to Fort Casey, check out Adventure Lighthouse, check out the tour park down below, take the ferry, hop the ferry over to Port Townsend. So it's quite a bit of a hike to get out to Fort Warden from Port Townsend. But in the era of the internet, I presume there are ways, Uber, to get out there or other, I mean, if you're bicycling, I mean, this could be one heck of a trek. So moving on from there. So in the show notes, drink, Admiralty Head Lighthouse Fort Casey and Woodby Island, originally named Red Bluff Light. Uh, I have a history link in the show notes regarding that. Now moving on to Point Wilson Light. Point Wilson's first lighthouse was built in 1879 by the U.S. Lighthouse Service. I don't think USLS. I, I I don't know. Is there still USLS? Uh, there could very well be. Do they have Do they have a Snapchat? That I don't we can know. Check with them. I might have to. I might have to uh, do some internet searching after this uh, episode. <laughs> yes. But anyway, the U- United States Lighthouse Service, as a companion to that Admiralty Head Lighthouse that was built 18 years before on the eastern side that I mentioned uh, of Admiralty Inlet. So this one, Point Wilson, originally was a. A square wooden tower projection from the roof of a two-story Cape Cod-style lighthouse keeper's quarters, held by a fixed, and I'm gonna. This is a specific, a fixed fourth order Fresnel lens, and I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. Fresnel, Fresnel, Fresnel um, lens, which I have a link in the show notes because it's a specific kind of lenses that that lighthouses used. You've probably seen really cool pictures of them where it's this glass. It's hard for me even to describe. It's like the cylinder that has these uh, ledges going out, and then they have the red lenses on each side. Okay. And so as the light turned, it refracted and magnified and did some really skookum. I'm not a light physicist, nor do I play one on a podcast. 19th century technology. Yeah, it was it was some pretty cool tech. The station also include a fog signal building with a 12-inch steam-powered fog whistle. <laughs> Chris, did you not get enough for lunch? I was Mexican food this time. Yes, thank you. 
<laughs> so anyway, so this this if you picture this, it is not again not the same lighthouse as once was there. There's uh, historical photos in the show notes, which are kind of cool. But anyway, this lighthouse at Fort Warden, you know, is on the spit of land, and it's a beautiful scene, and it's it's easy to drive up to. You literally can drive all the way out to the front of the lighthouse. But unfortunately, as seas take their toll on anything, high tides and stormy weather occasionally took their toll on the sandy beach around the tower uh, where it was built. In 1886, a picket fence about five feet high and 440 feet long was built at the lower part of the spit to catch, you know, drifting sand and stuff and build it back up. But unfortunately, that wasn't enough. In 1904, much of the beach had basically eroded completely away, threatening the integrity of that lighthouse. And the the problem was temporarily fixed when 1,542 tons of stone uh, reinforcement was piled on the eastern and northern sides uh, around it, which I think are the same stones that I was there. I thought it was just a water breach uh, or a water, uh, water break, uh-huh. but apparently I think I think that's what this this is uh, mentioning. So there's these huge rocks around uh, the lighthouse, and that's just there so that you know the ocean don't take it. That's always helpful. So to, uh, contemporarily speaking, the the current lighthouse that you see there was completed in 1914, but the original lighthouse minus its tower continues to serve as the residence for the keepers. The new lighthouse features a 49-foot concrete tower built in an octagonal uh, shape to reduce wind pressure, which projects upwards from the fog signal building. The light still shines from the, f- the fourth-order Fresnel lens, sending forth alternating red and white flashes every five seconds. Station, unfortunately, was automated in 1976 and remains uh, in the hands of the U.S. Coast Guard, but the campground and grounds around it are managed by the Washington State Parks. So I've got a link of that history all in the show notes. So if you're out there, check it out. It is a really cool walk around. I mean, beautiful beach, uh, beautiful lighthouse. And like I said, if you were if you were taking the, the passenger side of the ferry over or biking over, it could be a heck of a trek out there and you might be able to camp and then come back and do it in a quick turnaround. So as we're talking about Fort Casey and Whidbey Island in doing this you know, weekend jaunt that involves a ferry ride, do keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that Washington State ferries, especially the Keystone to Port Townsend. Well, it's it's the Keystone, Keystone Run. Keystone Run that goes from Woodby Island to Port Townsend. You got to do a reservation because uh, y- you can't just drive up and go, hi, we'd like to use the ferry. It gets packed. Yeah. But if you're a passenger and doing the walk-on, you shouldn't have to worry about that. No, or if you have a bike, either, either right. one. Right. So, I mean, but motor vehicles, if you decide that you're, you got kiddos and you want to do some driving around the, yeah. the Olympic Peninsula and Port Townsend on this weekend excursion, got to get a reservation on Washington yeah. Safe Ferries website. Yeah. Or you can do it on their mobile app, either one, which takes you to their website. Couple uh, interesting things about Fort Warden on the Poor Townsend side, uh, Point Wilson, as you were talking about with the lighthouse. Uh, little known fact: Fort Warden in the late 1980s uh, was host to a, a regional knowledge bowl tournament for high school uh, for high schools around the Olympic Peninsula. And funny, there was uh, a number of occasions where there was this handsome, devilishly uh, intelligent young man from Squim High School that was part of uh, a knowledge bowl team that went to Fort Warden. 
Oh, did you know him? Yes, I know him well. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was. I, you know, some guys were on basketball, play on the basketball team. Some guys were quarterbacks on the football team. Yeah, I was on a knowledgeable team. Thank you very much. But uh, we had uh, field trips over or uh, competitions in Fort Ward, in beautiful area. But I have fond memories of of that area in Port Townsend, and along those lines of Fort Ward and what we were talking about when I was a freshman in high school around 1988, I was in band class because I'm awesome and. Uh, I played trombone. However, <laughs> um, my band instructor and a couple of my classmates were able to be extras in a movie, a TV movie actually, in 19 that was filmed in 1988 in Fort Warden, and it was called The Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Now, there is a novel called The Kane Mutiny, written by I believe Herman Woke, who also wrote The Winds of War. Uh, this 1954 movie starred Humphrey Bogart. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, which is kind of a TV movie based on the court scene of that book. And what happened is my my band teacher and some of my uh, buddies went to Fort Warden in Port Townsend, got dressed up in full military band gear, a marching band gear, and they were filmed uh, parading around the barracks, if you will, uh, you know, in the ext- in the extemporaneous footage that they shot, but they were in the movie, and so I have uh, wonderful memories of my friends being in Fort Warden, Port Townsend, uh, recording uh, this TV movie on Fort Warden. Huh. Well, I did not intend that to dovetail into episode 88, but how convenient. But I completely take us into modus obscuria. I don't know if that's a Latin term or not, but I go into the obscure details of many things (laughs) because my brain is a cavernous uh, amount of uh, wacky information. Uh, well, yes, and and the one obscure or an obscure thought is that you might be listening to us on Camry 102.3 FM. Low power. Community radio here in the heart of the city of subdued excitement. Sorry if I just destroyed your subwoofers if you're listening to this in your car <laughs> stereo. I got to remember that. Oh, wait, wait. My voice kind of goes into lower hertz. Okay. I, note to self, turn down the bass. That's right. Um, <laughs> add treble. So treble, treble. Uh, 1988. Yes. What was hit back then. You know, fun, funny thing uh, in 88, this was both a presidential election and an Olympics year for the world and the United States in general. Pop quiz sports fans, well, at least, you know, politics fans or history fans, who was the Republican and Democrat uh, nominees for president in 1988? Give up? Okay, here we go. Uh, from the Democrats' side, Governor Michael Dukakis uh, from the Northeast and Lloyd Benson was his running mate. I think he was from Texas. Give us a, a message on hashtag Beham podcast to correct me if I'm wrong. The Republican competitors was George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, Bush the Elder, and uh, Dan Quayle. Quayle. <sighs> Mr. Punchline. As far as vice president in the presidential election, so many catchphrases, so many. I just remember vividly in a because in freshman year, I was taking U.S. history Uh. and we were made uh, we were told to watch the presidential debates and take, you know, note of all this stuff. And in the vice presidential debate, Dan Quayle was referencing John F. Kennedy and one of the things he was talking about. And Lloyd Benson, this awesome dude that reminds me of some other candidates we've had that haven't been president but have been candidates in the in the past says to my competitor i knew john f kennedy sir you are no john f kennedy 
zing, and uh, it just it just kind of stuck out to me. Also, uh, in in news, Canada and the United States in 1988 enacted or agreed upon the North American Free Trade Agreement. You may have heard about NAFTA. Started back then. Gosh, it was 30 years since I was a freshman in high school. Shut up. Don't 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 don't. Happy birthday. Oh, that's fine. But yeah. Anyway, uh, and also a funny thing happened in 1988. There's a there was a there was a little shrunken. You know, honey, I shrunk the vinyl record. They called it a compact disc back in those days. For the first year ever, compact discs outsold vinyl records for the first time. In 88. In 88. Uh, in the, in the sports uh, report, uh, the Redskins defeated the Broncos in Super Bowl that no one cared about. about. Uh, the Dodgers defeated the Athletics, which involved an injured Kirk Gibson, where he he limped to the plate and in very dramatic Major League Baseball historical fashion, smacked a home run, game-winning fashion. And you've seen, if you've watched Major League Baseball and a lot of the highlights over the years, there's this arm chugging that he does as he's circling around the bases. It was a grandiose moment as Vin Scully called the shot that won the game for the Dodgers. And in 1988, uh, Calgary hosted the Winter Olympics. Our neighbors in Alberta hosted the Winter Olympics featuring... And among many events, such as Katarina Witt uh, doing so wonderfully in figure skating, the Jamaican bobsled team cool debuted. Runnings. Cool runnings. You got it. And so that was the debut in Calgary in 1988. In case you went to the movie theater, like I did in a lot of cases, one of my top five favorite movies debuted in, around the Christmas holiday season, Die Hard. Oh. That we, is a Chris. That is totally a Christmas film. We are going to keep this a clean podcast yes, and not is. talk about some of the wonderful lines from that movie. Yippee ki Exactly. Uh, also, for everyone, family friendly. Uh, Who framed Roger Rabbit came out in 1988. <laughs> family friendly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anywho, uh, and also one of my favorite cult classics, uh, "They Live," a movie starring Rowdy Roddy Piper, actually oh, yeah. playing a straight, a, 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 pro, a pro wrestler that uh, was the lead character in a movie. I smell an Oscar. Not quite. It kind of sucked in the, in the movie theaters. But uh, also in music in 1988, uh, thanks to MTV who played videos and played singles, uh, they had a show called Yo! MTV Raps back in the day, 30 years ago. And that really gave a springboard to a lot of rap artists. They finally became mainstream with a lot of video exposure. Uh, NWA, I won't uh, broadcast what that uh, means right, right. Uh, on this show, but uh, Public Enemy and NWA had albums, and uh, as, as well as a cast of thousand OGs released albums uh, in 1988. So yeah, things were kind of changing in that year with a whole lot of uh, momentous occasions. Would you say like 1988 or this this era is leading into the Attitude Era? Uh, well, the Attitude Era. Are you talking WWF? Well, or? no, I'm just saying, like in general, like are like in general, like um, personality wise, like we see. Uh, alternative. We see a lot of the attitude um, persona yes. that, you know, do you feel like this is kind of the the late 80s was that kind of like, if you look at the 80s, 80s was all about like bright colors and gooberiness. And really towards the, the late 80s and then going into the 90s, we get the grunge era and such. Very real like the roots, attitude, yeah. just in general, attitude era. Do you think this is like the, the tipping point? I think in some cases, uh, the sheen on the polish doesn't last very long because oftentimes it takes a couple people to realize, hey, that's kind of goofy and all other people may join in. And so hence you get a little bit more raw yeah. uh, material. Uh, speaking of the Attitude Era, that's probably around episode late yeah, 90s yeah, episodes. Yeah. But no, no, I, I, not, not a wrestling reference, but I'm just saying that in general, like, I mean, 
I kind of feel like the late 80s and leading into that early 90s is really where we start to see a cha- a shift, societal shift, yeah. you know, a little bit in just not just in in fashion, but just in general. And and you know the the slickness of Miami Vice kind of turned into a little grittier NYPD blue mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. And so a little bit more was being pushed in the boundaries thanks to uh, cable channels becoming uh, more popular in in uh, in viewership. In which the big four networks ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. Because Fox started to come online around mm-hmm. the late 80s, early 90s with some of their edgier broadcasts. That would be uh, a little bit of a signal that uh, culture shift is changing, hmm. especially with uh, new types of videos on MTV. Anyway, so yeah, 88 was a great year. Uh, it was one of the halcyon days for myself. And thank you very much for allowing me to uh, share a little bit of a, a 30-year time capsule of information. Oh, nostalgia, how we hate and love thee. That's right. <laughs> Hey, Chris, in the couple of minutes we got left outside of the show and getting up cool content and stuff, and we're taking a break for two weeks. Just as another reminder, uh, we will be back on the air that first weekend in August. But uh, what are you working on these days, Chris? You know, I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, this podcast that we have here. We are chugging along, doing this weekly thing, and it's a conversation about life in Bellingham and our hobbies and things that matter to us. Um, if you notice, dear listener, we haven't had much technology to discuss. We've we've kind of taken a little step away from technology in the, here in the Bellingham podcast, uh, but I haven't forgotten about it. And so I've got a, a little thing called a Minimal Tech Microcast on this other micro.blog website, of which I was actually an interviewee on uh, one of their podcasts. So pretty much on your podcast weapon of choice, if you happen to type my name in, Chris Powell, you might see a fella in a black hooded uh, jacket. That's me. I usually do about two to four minute blasts of information that might be of help from technology. And uh, I'm enjoying that and continuing to write uh, a newsletter. Uh, I try to get out there every Friday. I actually created a newsletter in advance because it's supposed to come out on my birthday. So I'm kind of, you know, talked about my birthday in a, in a way that I do. So bit.ly forward slash quiet Chris. I should come up with a jingle for that sometime. bit.ly forward slash quiet Chris. Um, <laughs> that could be a way to uh, sign up for a newsletter if you wish, if you want a little bit more of this type of entertainment in your life. AJ, what in Sam Hill are you working on nowadays? <laughs> uh, I'm still working on photography and still have my Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash AJ Barsay. And I'm gearing up towards uh, debuting a new project. It's still in the works. Uh, I'm not going to say a lot yet, but my website will be uh, revamped one more time uh, right before its launch. And it will be something that will be orderable. I'll just say, I'll just say that. Spoiler alert, folks. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) You haven't even seen it. I have seen it. It's going to be awesome. You're going to want to buy it. Go with that. How about we try this and going with that? <laughs> Thanks very much for tuning in to the Bellingham podcast, and thank you so much for listening to us on whatever podcast uh, app of choice you choose to use, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Overcast, my favorite, TuneIn Radio, uh, iHeartRadio, or uh, a whole bunch that you might find online or on your mobile device. Uh, if you happen to be listening to us in your car or on a FM stereo, you got us on 102.3 FM KMRE. Low power. Community radio right here in the left ventricle of Bellingham, that city by the Salish Sea. On that note, 
Thank you very much for listening. I'm Chris Powell. And I'm AJ Barce. We will see you in two weeks. Dude, that voice that you made was like, hey, hey, you want to buy a watch? Dude, why'd you do that to me? I almost, I almost said, thanks for listening. I'm AJ Barce. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an April Fool's. Wrong month. <laughs> <laughs>